Welcome to the On Mindset Podcast with Sean Paul Pangalos. So, Dennis, welcome to the On Mindset Podcast. It's uh, an honor to have you here as a guest. And uh, it's just, you know, I'm just happy uh, for you to, to be here. And we're just going to have a conversation around mindset. So, if you want, you can tell us a bit about yourself, what is it that you do, and a bit more about uh, sports, soccer, mindset, coaching. Give us a brief introduction. Hey, um, it's an honor to be here. It's a pleasure, and I appreciate you having me on the show here, uh, Jean-Paul. Um, it's, it's a great honor to be here, and uh, I'm really, really excited today. Um, my first year in college in 1983, I was introduced to a teacher named Tom Mitchell. He was the basketball coach at our college. And he goes, Dennis, you should come into the sports psychology class. You'd be really fascinated by this, and I think it'd be really good for you. And so in 1983, that's when my uh, idea started about learning about sports psychology and performance mindsets and how it just relates to performance and happiness. And I've always liked studying philosophy and, again, just kind of uh, finding things that give us gravity, depth and meaning in our lives, Jean-Paul. And uh, to kind of fast forward to now, I'm 60 years old. Um, I've coached soccer in 13 countries and I've had the opportunity and the luck to be around some great uh, soccer mentors, football mentors. And uh, one of the things that I've come to learn in all this travel is that how important uh, teaching has to be linked to mindset training and how the mindset relates to learning and scaffolding uh, through the next zones of proximal development. And it's just been a fascinating a journey that I feel really grateful for. And again, I'm just, I'm honored to be here and just uh, share some insights and I'm, I'm here to learn as well. So I uh, thank you very much for having me. That, that's awesome. And you mentioned you, you started this journey in 1983 and well, I was three years old when that happened. And I want to, <laughs> I, I want to ask you, Dennis, how have you seen uh, sports psychology and coaching around, you know, mindset and peak performance evolve over the years? Uh, through your experience, what can you tell us about, you know, all these years and, and how sports psychology and mindset coaching is today? Well, uh, that's a great question. Thank you for bringing it up. Um, you know, and like I said, in the 80s and 90s, people talked about things like, you know, visualization and, you know, positive thinking and the like everything over time, you know, thoughts evolve. Right. And now, you know, there's people like yourself and there's uh, there's more fingers kind of on the pulse of things like attentional control, like what your software kind of measures, uh, the readiness of a person's beliefs and thoughts and how their self-talk works and how people just assimilate information. So I think to answer your question today, it's evolved into more of a whole organism uh, kind of training method. And I think even now, another factor that's come into play is recently, there's been all this information in the media about people's mindsets or mental health. Uh, in particular, some sad notes of breakdowns of sports athletes uh, mentally. And again, this is something that I think now is really getting, getting some traction. And that's one of the main differences now, Jean-Paul, is back like visualization was big in the 80s. Now we're looking at uh, whole different ideas on how, you know, how an organism flourishes and different ways that people can use that information to grow. Awesome, awesome. And, you know, you, you talked about, you know, the, the openness or about talking about, you know, mental health. Were athletes back in the day not allowed to express those things did they did they keep it secret or or was it talked behind doors you know in in my experience i think uh you know people have always you know myself we've always been taught to kind of internalize things and keep them inside right and i think as what we risk in that is that we are social beings 
And I've always kind of been uh, a person that shared and tried to communicate. But I think uh, there's kind of been a stigma to doing that in the past or saying that, you know, you weren't feeling well or you were down or depressed about something. And uh, I think today, again, uh, there's just a lot more openness and people are more ready to accept that, you know, we're all human and we, go, we all go through cycles that are up and down and we all have to deal with, you know, difficult emotions uh, from one time to another. And uh, in the past, that could have been something that was looked at as a weakness. I think today it's more looked at as something that we need to address more and uh, just make sure as a tribe and as communities, we're looking after each other for our own mental well-being. I see, I see, I see. And I know that a lot of the work that you do in terms of mindset coaching is around uh, youth athletes and student athletes. What are, what are the, the main foundations you build mindset from at that age? And what are the pillars in order to, to develop them with a strong mindset? Can you talk a bit about that? Absolutely. Um, as what we really try and do with the, the young athletes that I particularly come in contact with, um, we try to tell them that the most important thing is they have to just love what they're doing, John Paul. And that has to be their number one reason for performing or competing is just for the love of it for the thrill of competition and just because you're you can uh, put your whole being towards that and then uh, you know for me performance equals potential minus interference so sometimes as a being we're going to have some interference that we need to antidote it could be a belief or a thought and we provide athletes the tools in real time to manage their fears and doubts and to reset their confidence through things like showing them what a stress cup is. And so, you know, kids in sports today, they're under pressure, right? Family pressures, school pressures, social pressures, pressures to get into school, pressures to compete in sports. And when their stress cup gets too full, the unconscious mind becomes a negative thought generating machine. And so, we're for providing tools that help the uh, athletes navigate that process. Also to deal with the difficult emotions is another important aspect of uh, what I try and teach young athletes is that all emotions are good and they need to be embraced. And only by embracing all the emotions, even the difficult ones, can we develop the mindset that allows us to overcome those difficult situations in sports. Of course, kids need to learn how to deal with setbacks, how to deal with uh, drops in performance. And uh, it's, it's a complex uh, landscape for a young athlete to develop until they've generated some, uh, some tools and coping mechanisms, in my opinion, John Paul. Good, good, good. It's really, really interesting. I love your formula. I, I wrote, wrote it down. You know, performance equals potential minus interference. You know, makes a lot of sense. I think it's a simple formula to teach young kids. With your approach, do you work and focus on developing the potential or minimizing interference or both? Tell us a bit about that. That's, that's a great question. So the number one, we try to anecdote and minimize what the athlete's interference is, number one. And uh, whatever their biggest limitation is, that's what we try and focus on first. And then after we try and do that, once you start minimizing the interference, obviously the ceiling on the potential goes up. And so we, we particularly is what we like to do is we antidote what we think the interference is, and then we connect with the power mind or the unconscious mind where the athlete has the beliefs that can either be helping them or holding them back a little bit. And then the, the third part of it, Jean-Paul, is is the emotional mastery for a young athlete. Just being ready for the uncertainty of all the emotions coming at you in a pressure situation and you just having the tools to be, to be able to think and act through them. And then the final part that we work on is kind of like a gestalt therapy where we break it all down into the parts and then put it back together with the young athlete. So, uh, it's a combination of just visualizations, uh, letting them create some tools for their own growth 
and then uh, just putting it all back together for them as a complete package. Um, one of the athletes that I'm currently working with just recently told me that he's learning new ways to motivate himself and drive himself without putting on any additional pressure or anxiety on his plate. And so we're just trying to provide the tools for young athletes to navigate, like I said, the sports uh, landscape. And then, of course, the longer they're in the landscape, the more pressure packed it becomes. And just learning to deal with all those things that are going to be coming towards you, sometimes at a really fast speed. That's that's awesome. That's awesome. And, you know, you also mentioned embracing, learning how to embrace all emotions. And you also said that, you know, all emotions are, are, are positive, you know. So I'm assuming and I what comes to mind when I think of that is how the kids handle frustration, losing, defeat, you know, things that are beyond their control. Is, is that an important part of working on their mindset? And the reason why I ask that is because I listened to, to Shaquille O'Neal talk in an interview one time when he had a couple of playoff runs at the beginning of his career, his career, but didn't make it to the finals and there were no championships. And he talked to Michael Jordan about it. And Michael Jordan said, listen, in order to win, you first have to learn to lose. Is that tied to embracing all emotions? What, what can you tell us about that? Well, that's a, that's another great question. And I think that I try and, you know, as what he's saying there, that you have to absorb tremendous amounts of competition. You know, Michael Jordan would say he lost, you know, 3,000 times or he failed 3,000 times. And when you absorb that kind of competition and over the course of your, you know, playing span, it allows you to have really solid pillars attached to your mental framework and failure i think is a key component to you know having like toughness in your mentality it just that's where the resilience comes from and you know once you get to a certain uh mind frame you know every minute counts for you as an athlete and you always want to be you know balanced and centered and aligned uh with what your what your goal and your role is in that moment and i think it's it's all about how you handle the failures the setbacks and that's one thing that's so important for the kids to understand and uh especially the parents don't really want them today at least in this country i'm going to make a blanket statement the parents here in this country jean paul try and shield their kids from as much disappointment and setback and failure and difficult emotions as they can. And I think it's really a shortcoming and it's going to create uh, some problems for certain individuals moving forward because kids have to know how to, they have to know that it's not fair. Okay. Coaches play favorites. Uh, this is the mindset that you have to have to navigate this. And you have to just be able to, uh, be ready for anything because it's all going to happen. And you almost have to have a road underdog mindset that the odds already stacked against you and your mindset just has to be, bring it on. I'm here. I live for this. And I, and again, back to your question, I think failure is the foundation of success. in, in my opinion, um, my first year in college, uh, right before the college soccer season started, I blew out my ankle like four days before the tryouts. So I missed the whole season. So when I came back the next season, I wasn't going to let a second, a minute go by. And I was just going to embrace every second, every minute. I was going to be all in. And by the next, next season, when the year rolled around, I was. So failure or being injured, that was a reset for me right there. And I think failure is really, really an important uh, conduit to success. Learn, le learning, how, learning how to fail. And, and, you know, you remember a couple of weeks ago in the playoffs, Giannis Antetokounmpo, he had this, this famous answer in, in the interview about, you know, would you consider this season a, a failure based on losing the game? And he said, listen, nothing, you know, it's, 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 can't, you can't consider that a failure. You remember that interview? Where he talked about failure and it went viral yes. all over all over the world. Amazing. 
it, it it's amazing. It's it's amazing. He he did get some sort of backlash. It wasn't mainstream, but a lot of people who said that really, really, really competitive people do not think that way. You know, they they think that you know failure isn't acceptable. And we're talking about the mindsets of perhaps Kobe Bryant's and you know Michael Jordan's and everything. How yes. what, what what is your take on this? Do you think that in order to actually be a peak peak performer? winning is the only benchmark necessary or what's your take on that well i think if that's our only benchmark then we're just going to be missing so much jean paul uh that that can't be it especially working with children uh there's there's so much pressure to uh be like a social success today I remember I was coaching uh, a boy in soccer and his dad told me he had 10,000 Instagram followers. And my, my response was, well, why isn't he having more fun and he's more confident playing soccer? Okay. And again, we, we can't judge this just on victories and losses. I think we have to look at it as something that affects all of us. Our mental health is so important. And I think that's what he so eloquent, uh, eloquently explained to the reporter. And I don't see that as a sign of weakness. I almost see that as a universal man, which sees that the reality is soccer is only a game. Basketball is only a game. And these things that some people are taking so seriously, they're, they're just games, right? And especially soccer, it's a children's game. And we have to just treat it as such. And uh, failure can't be our only benchmark that we go by uh, in our society. Just like winning can't be our only benchmark. There's more to it than that. And I just figure so much would be lost in the translation there, in my opinion, John Paul. Very, very wise answer. Very wise. And, and Dennis, working, working with, the, with the, the younger ones. What is the process, perhaps for somebody that doesn't have that much experience working with youth athletes and student athletes, what is the process of coaches and mindset coaches such as you are when you start identifying maybe children with quite some potential and handling the same standards with other people who are just doing it for the love of the game, for fun, just as an activity? Well, is there a process or is there a, a methodology to handle both? Or at that level, you treat everybody in terms of mindset at the same stage? You know, and uh, that's a great question. And thank you again for bringing it up. I think that uh, the, the, let's say we're training an elite athlete to be more confident. Well, it's the same as uh, creating the environment where a recreational athlete can be more confident. They're, they both are doing the same thing, but they're just doing it differently. And I think the tools that they need are different for each of those environments. So again, uh, our work is individualized, whether an athlete is playing uh, for Orlando FC in Major League Soccer, or he's playing uh, volleyball at a club in, say, you know, Sacramento, California. And, you know, not everybody wants to be an elite athlete. I mean, let's be realistic. It's not for everybody. And in a lot of situations, you know, the romanticism of being a high-level athlete, being there for a lot of these people, it's not that glamorous. And there's a lot of things you have to deal with. But I think uh, working with the athletes that I work with, everything's individualized and, a, and an elite performer, he's going to need something different than a recreational performer or even a 10-year-old athlete. Uh, that's just starting out on their, you know, sampling of their athletic career. But I think it's really pertinent that both uh, levels of players need to have uh, some tools to navigate the sports experience, especially when you make the transitions between the various levels of it. In my opinion, John Paul. Good, 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 good. And what, what, what is it working with the parents? Do you also do parent work and handle their expectations in order to improve the the athlete's mindset, or is that something that you, you don't touch upon that much? 
you know, one of the first things we do, it's kind of a five-step process uh, with, with how we work. The first thing we do is I sit down with the parents and the young athlete in the same room. And we do this in person, I like to, or over a Zoom platform. And I go through a, about 20 questions that we ask the parents and about 20 questions that we ask the performer. And some of them can create a little bit of uh, energy in the room. And then we kind of judge that energy in the room to possibly see where the interference is coming from. Sometimes the interference does come from the parents. Sometimes it's from the beliefs of the child. But we try to focus and look at the whole situation by focusing on the parents and the athlete collectively together at first. Then we pretty much just separate the, the athlete away from the parents and start working just with that athlete as a client. And then I keep the parents informed of the progress and where we're at in the process, uh, moving along mostly in separate conversations with the uh, young performer not present. So uh, again, we gather the information and it's really, really important. We gather the information with the parents present and we're asking questions to both parties and trying to judge uh, if there's anything in the family unit that's creating a little bit of extra pressure. And uh, that, that's really, really important for solving the interference of the athlete, John Paul. Good, good, good. Really interesting, really interesting. And at a world level, in, in soccer, which athletes can you name that have, for you in your opinion, the strongest mindset to compete? Who, what, what, what names can you give me at an international soccer level? Well, I would just say Mbappe for his performance in the World Cup final. Uh you're you're just behind the whole time your team's under pressure the whole time and you just look like you belong there every second of it uh, when it and when it comes time for you to reach up and uh put your magnificent picasso stroke on the game there he is to make it and uh not to discount messi or any of the all the other great athletes in the tournament he showed a lot of what his mental game is in that final for sure. So he just jumps out at me to be able to be there in that moment and uh, just deliver with imagination and creativity. And then just, you know, to be able to finish like that under so much pressure. I agree. I'd say I'm about that. Magic I, I, I performance. Agree. Yeah, I completely agree. I do think that it doesn't, it, it's not so much about his mindset but I do believe that his entourage and his environment is taking away from him personally. And that's, you know, uh, all the, the, the business aspect, all the decisions and everything. I think that, you know, it takes a bit away from him and doesn't allow him to perform even at a higher level. And it's, I think it's a, it's a shame. It's a shame because, you know, if he were focused 100% on what is going on in the field, except, you know, you, you see, you see him, if you follow a bit of what's going on, he has issues with sponsors and he has issues with the rights and he doesn't want to participate in interviews, things like that. And I just personally believe it's, it's bad influence from his lawyers and his, you know, uh, managers and perhaps the family too. So, so yeah, but I completely agree, you know, for his age and his talents. Amazing, amazing, amazing. They just want to leave this, this, this weekend so yeah anybody yeah, else that you would mention uh footballers in particular um i really like uh the the, the midfielder for real madrid uh luka modric modric yeah <laughs> yeah and for a, a veteran player right uh his game's all mental and if you think about it you know, to play at the highest levels of football, you have to have a highly developed football IQ, and that's mental. But to be able to handle the expectations in real time, uh, I love a way a guy like him does it, just calm, whether he's playing for his country, his club team, it's all the same. He's consistently performing at the top level that his talents and skill allow wherever he is. And he's another uh, 
clutch performer, in my opinion. Uh, just like De Bruyne, uh, you know, Oland, the young player. You know, there's there's so many great players today. And uh, there, there's a great book written by uh, a German coach called The Mental Game. And uh, there's just so many players today that are just like playing beyond the mental you know, constellations and galaxies and they're just, they're playing out of their skulls and it's just, it's fantastic for the game on the men's side and the women's side. I'm excited Absolutely. about it. I, I completely agree with you there, all the names and Modric. Yeah. I'm lucky enough. I'm in Madrid too. I'm here. So, so yeah, got the team. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's, it's amazing. It's amazing. Do you, do you yeah, believe I, that these, these players, uh, you know, is it talent? Or they have also had to train their minds. And if they did train their minds, how do you believe they did it? Was it luck of they, they found the right people? They did, the, did they develop this on their own? What, what's your take on this when you, you, you really are talking about these exceptional players? Uh, there's, a, there's a couple ways to look at that great question. Um, number one, uh, I think that You know, some people are going to have mentors that help them. Some people are going to be shaped by experience. And some people are going to be shaped by, you know, where they're from and like what environments they've come out of, if that makes sense. If you, read the, if you read the book, The Talent Code, it's, it's really, really good. Um, I had a chance to play soccer and, and see soccer up close uh, when I went down to Bolivia, where I lived down there for three and a half years. And for instance, in Bolivia, there's no such thing as organized soccer for kids like we have in the USA. In Bolivia, the only kind of soccer there is, is where kids play on the street. And they set up two goals. They're, you know, they're made out of rocks or stumps or bottles. And all the kids gather in the neighborhoods. They bet a little bit of Bolivianos. They bet a little bit of money. The teams play. There's no coaches there. There's no referees. The winners stay on. They keep the Bolivianos. Another team comes on, and they just play like that all day. When I went down there and was playing soccer, I would go into the barrios and the neighborhoods and play in these games, and it was the funnest football I've ever played on the planet. No coaches there. No referees. You're making little bets on the games or who's buying the Coca-Cola's after and everybody's playing like it's the World Cup, but the kids are solving all the problems on their own. So that's one environment that athletes would come from. Uh, another uh, aspect of this, you know, kids now in this country, they come through, you know, in, in the club structure, but the clubs are, uh, they don't necessarily Uh, always focus on the best interest of the development of the players like we do in Europe. You know, in Europe, kids are brought up to play through a club system to where they're valued. They have a FIFA player card and they're, they're really grown up so that they can be moved on to other playing platforms. And uh, there, there's so many ways of looking at the developmental pie, I think in modern soccer But I think like in South America, the incubators for footballers are street soccer. Uh, we're still trying to figure that out in this country, what our incubators are. And then, of course, in Europe and Asia, they're utilizing all the cutting edge data and science and teaching methods for, you know, their player development models now. So there's many different ways to look at that player development puzzle. And it's unique to each country and their resources and uh, what their history is, basically, in my opinion, John Paul. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really interesting how, how soccer has evolved. Uh, I had the, 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 you know, the, the honor of also going to high school in the U.S. and I played soccer there in my first years, also played basketball. And it's really interesting to see the, the two dichotomies of how uh, sports, uh, you know, and, and soccer is, 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 has evolved in the U.S. and how in Europe, being the traditional place and, you know, where, you know, soccer was invented and everything, how it's evolved here right now, they are crazy on stats, big data, data, information, and literally yeah. measuring absolutely everything. Is it the same in the U.S.? 
or they're still more focused on physicality and tactics and strategy? No, we're, we're trying to kind of follow that European model using a lot of data, you know, and, uh, you know, I, I think it's just remarkably kind of what we're not seeing the whole picture, right? Uh, but by just, just checking the data and the metric all the time, I think it still all comes down to just the imagination and the creativity and the artistry of how a player thinks and the joy with how he uses his, his uh, body and his mind just to be an extension of their spirit, how he shows joy or how she shows joy and how she plays the game. And I think we're missing a lot just looking at the metric. Um, you know, I, I want to work with a player that's going to invent the future of the game, Jean-Paul, and that's not going to be defined by a metric. It's going to be defined by passion and artistry and color. And I think, you know, bold strokes, in my opinion, Jean-Paul. How, how can a player develop that? If, if I were to expand that and, and think of, you know, intuition, creativity, imagination, you know, thinking outside the box, inspiration. How, how, how can you develop that from a mindset perspective uh, in order to, to, to give more skills to a player? Can, can that be taught? Can it be nurtured? Or it's something that you either have or don't have? Well, I think just a great question again. I, one problem we're having in this country right now is our players are so overcoached here our coaches think they're so important and we're overcoaching every detail of the game. We're taking away the creativity and the imagination from our players before they can even develop it. And I think that's one of the problems with soccer in this country. Um, but what, what we're talking about specifically is, can you develop the imagination and creativity of a player? Absolutely. And here's how you do it. The, the most important evaluations you make for a player, I think, happen at the earliest stages of when you're starting to teach them at the grassroots level and you recognize what each player's uh, technical and tactical identity is, and then you start nurturing it and cultivating it over time. And then by the time that that tree grows, the fruit that's going to come off it is going to be the best because you started that process early, Jean-Paul, and that player is going to be ready to handle anything uh, once they're about 17, 18, 19 years old because of how you identified it early and then you nurtured and you cultivated that mindset and that creativity and the imagination in the right fertile training environment. And I think it can totally be cultivated. That's really interesting. And you mentioned you've coached in 13 countries first first of all you know it just blows my mind how did you end up coaching in 13 countries what what's the story behind that well it's um it's been really interesting so where i grew up in california uh one of the first things that i learned was uh in, in northern california due to all the wine industry and things like that there was a big mexican and Central American population. And right away, I started seeing soccer in my hometown. It wasn't just played by the Anglo kids like myself, but there were lots of Hispanic and Mexican players. So I started learning about the international game right away. And uh, right after I graduated from college, uh, I, I spent time in England and I got a coaching badge in England and I just started meeting people around the game. I met Kevin Keegan when I was in England and he became a friend of mine and he was a famous player in England uh, for playing on the national team. But he helped me uh, get into some coaching courses and meet some people. And uh, after I came back from England and started getting involved in soccer in this country, I met a gentleman named Fred Shue, and he was involved with a lot of European uh, clubs. He was a uh, pretty famous guy here for some inventions that he uh, created here in California. But he started taking kids on soccer tournaments to Europe. And so I got involved with him and started getting involved with tournaments going to Europe. And that was one way that I started getting some contacts to travel 
And he's the person that helped me get lots of jobs in South America and make lots of contacts there. And just working in various clubs in the USA and uh, in Europe and South America, I've just been able to cultivate different relationships. Uh, I've worked in Mexico when I was working for Real Salt Lake and their MLS Academy in Arizona. And I've just been really, really lucky to have people that want to help me out. And uh, I've just met people in amazing places that went out of their way to make me feel welcome and go, you want to learn coaching? Well, here it is right here. What do you want to do? What do you want to see? Uh, let me introduce you to some friends. Uh, it's just been a really, really fantastic and a journey that I feel tremendously lucky and thankful for. And now I feel obligated to just share my gifts that I have uh, from all the great mentors that I've met. And that's kind of how I've just been so lucky to travel, Jean-Paul. That's, that's amazing. That's amazing. And I'm, I'm starting to connect the dots, you know, throughout this conversation, we're, we're talking about mindset and development, but one common denominator in, in the different themes that we've touched is environments. You talked about the streets of Bolivia. You talked about, you know, California and the players there. You talked about Europe and the, you know, the mentality, the environment, the background of the player. It, it, it seems to be that, you know, environment and where the player develops is a huge, huge component of how they will end up turning uh, as a soccer player, mindset-wise, and, and everything. So, you know, I, I think that in, in, in that aspect, you know, with, with your clients and with your, your, your athletes, you know, having that background of having been living in so many in different environments, 13 countries, I think that's a, an amazing gift that you can give your clients and, and, and your athletes. And I was thinking, you know, this this Mr. Shoe guy who who also seems to be a visionary, he invented things. He 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 understood that for American players to develop, they needed to come to Europe and learn from from you know the best environments here. That's that's crucial. Do you see that as a trend in you know coaching? where taking care of the best possible environments for athletes to thrive in is one of the biggest keys. What, what do you believe of, uh, about that? Well, I think, uh, you know, just being so lucky to travel around and see all the different components, right? So when, when I'm coaching soccer or thinking about the mental game, I'm thinking about what, what the best methodology is from Asia, what the best methodology is from Europe, what the best methodology is from South America, and trying to take those, those components and make the recipe and kind of build the cake here in the United States. I think the environment is tremendously important. And uh, it's just as important as the environment that the athlete comes from, because only can there be maximum transfer you know, mentally and technically and tactically, if the learning environment is right, and then those variables translate to the performance arena. And uh, I think the environment where, where the athletes come from is the most important component. And that's why there's all these great variations of the developmental model, you know, all over the planet now to develop the modern player. Awesome, awesome. And Dennis, in relation to the sports coaches, you know, the, the ones that manage the team, how is the relationship, you know, in your experience with the mindset coaches, the sports psychologists, is, is, is that relationship fluid? And do they rely on the psychologist to improve the mindset? Or it's still, you know, the coach saying, I'm in charge and I know what I'm doing and just let me do my stuff. And, you know, on the side, you can do some mindset. What's, what's the relationship between both in the U S I'm, I'm asking you this question because I've had a, a, a number of conversations with sports psychologists here. It seems that it, you know, it's trendy. Every team here uh, in Spain, uh, soccer, they all have sports psychologists because it's like the thing to have, but then there's a, a bit of complaint in terms of they really don't allow me to fully develop all the scope of the work I can do with the players. They don't take my opinion 
or my expertise into account when, you know, doing the, the teams and the lineups and, and seeing who stays or who goes. What can you tell us about us from your experience? Well, that, that's a great, great question. You know, in this country in particular, our, our coaches aren't humble and they're going to and they're going to feel threatened by a coach that connects on, a, on that level with a player. I think that's going to be a limiting factor. I can see that all over the planet. There has to be a certain openness for this relationship to manifest itself. And I can see uh, coaches that might be too protective or cast too big of a shadow over their players to let a mental skills uh, specialist develop the players so they can flourish uh, in the mental game. I can see that being difficult and problematic, especially for uh you know, coaches that don't think outside the box. Uh, I took a coaching clinic years ago from the late, great Steve Negoesco, and he said there's actually seven types of coaches or there's seven teaching styles. And I can see most of those teaching styles being threatened by a sports psychologist or a, or a mindset performance coach, John Paul. I could see that being threatening to those coaches, to their ego. It's 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 an ego thing, right? And it's an insecurity about you know. Uh, uh, I, I it makes sense. It makes sense. And what what do you suggest if it was in your hand to actually solve this? How would you go about it to to bridge the gap between you know that that ego of the the, the coach, and you know that they're they're perhaps arrogance or, you know, the psychologist willingness to help and, and give their input. How, how what, what, what would your recipe be as a solution? Well, mentoring is the only way to do it. Uh, and this is what I mean. When, when I was a young coach, when I was out coaching, if anybody was even watching, I'd feel threatened. So that just tells you my level of insecurity or my level of how my ego was working. Now today, I'll let anybody watch my practice. I want to share every idea. I want to be open to creating the next generation of coaches that are better. They start off with a better foothold than the one I had. Uh, they start off with better tools than what I had. And uh, that, that's kind of how I want to, uh, to be an asset. I'm not sure I kind of went off the question there. But I think it's about mentoring. I've had some amazing mentors uh, just like bend over backwards to share every idea uh, they could with me. And so that's why I feel like I'm obligated to do that as well. Uh, the best, one of the best mentors I ever had was years and years and years ago. I was working at a uh, high school and there was a coach there that said, uh, if you want to learn about coaching, come out and watch me. And he was a, a world-renowned teacher And I still use those ideas that he talked about. Uh, I still use those every day when I'm teaching. And uh, Mr. Dave Humphers was his name. And he was an amazing, amazing facilitator. And, and his performers, I've never seen anything like it when they, when they trained and when they performed. And it was because that he was a good mentor. He was an effective teacher. And that's how we're going to solve that problem about uh, creating better coaches and teachers is by mentoring. And that's what I'm hoping to do in my club, Placer United, is mentor the coaches and the parents on developing this mental skills program for uh, Placer United. Awesome, awesome. And Dennis, is mindset in sports universal to sports or do you believe that depending on the sport, you need to develop different aspects of mindset? Well, what do you believe about that? Uh, and your question is maybe in two different sports, right? For example, yes. You know, mindset in basketball or swimming or soccer or football, cricket. Do you believe that, you know, mindset, you know, touches universally on everything about competition? Or there are some aspects that you need to develop separately depending on the sport? You know, I know your expertise is soccer. No, you. I think that there's certain... Uh... There's certain intrinsic parts in each sport. Let's say we're talking about golf, which is what we call a discrete movement. So a discrete movement means there's a beginning and an end to the movement. 
Does that make sense, Jean-Paul? Absolutely. And so in, in discrete movements, the, the mental picture before and the mental picture after, that's really specific to golf. When we're talking about a sport like, say, football, uh, soccer, it's a continuous game. The movements aren't discrete. They're all linked. And so there's different feedback loops that are utilized by the performers and by the coaches. So, yes, I think there's specific uh, differences to each of the uh, skills that need to be available for an athlete uh, that's doing a variety of different sports. I mean, let's say in, in swimming, you're going to have performance plateaus based on times and positions. Uh, you know, in a, in a sport like the Tour of Italy just got over. Uh, you know, the element of time is way different in, in a bicycle stage race than it is for like in a football match. But the athletes all have to be able to handle these various uh, th these various variables handle them specific in their own situations to be delivered to the outcomes they want. So I think it's some of them are universal while other of the needs are individual uh, in the group based on what the skill sets are of that particular sport, like the discrete and non-discrete movements. Makes sense. It makes sense. And, you know, fr from the mindset factors perspective, you know, you had the chance to do the assessment and the test in order to work Uh, properly with a person and help them develop their mindset, one of the skills I've seen prove to be the most effective is to provide with the person or the athlete the ability to learn more about himself, get a, a better understanding of how his mind works, and developing self-awareness. And, and, you know, if you can see, think of self-awareness as the ability to see yourself from the outside. It's like if you were a spectator of your own self, how do you feel inside? What are your thoughts? How are the thoughts connected to the emotions? How are those emotions connected to the body? And paying attention to that and really understand what's going on. What, what is your approach around that? And how do you develop that in the athletes that you work with? Boy, great question. Um, is what the athletes in particular that we work with, when it comes to emotional mastery, one of the homework assignments I give the athlete is to try and find themselves in a really difficult emotion and find yourself in that emotion and give yourself permission to feel it, taste it, feel the heat of it, and then step out of your body almost like you're in a detachment and watch yourself feel that emotion. And after you've given yourself permission to feel it, and then you step back and you witness yourself feeling it, then you ask yourself, does this serve me? What can I, what can I glean from this? Where's the silver lining? How does this serve me? And then you can step back into your body, answer that question. If it serves you, uh, Keep it. If it doesn't serve you, reframe it. Give yourself permission to feel it and then come to a conclusion and get over it and move on. And that's how uh, we develop one of the aspects of emotional mastery uh, in, in my training. Amazing, amazing. And I've had conversations with other uh, coaches who work with athletes and student athletes. And one of the things that they tell me nowadays is that, you know, young, young, the young teenagers today with social media, with all these, you know, the, the, the scroll, lensless scroll and all that, their attention span has really been reduced. And it's challenging to get to them to focus. And one of the ways that they've seen is, is, is effective is to try and make things fun. It's to gamify. Uh, the learning experience. Do you use that in your training? And do you use that when you work with, you know, gamification and fun and, you know, working the mindset? Uh, and if you do, what, 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 what things do you do in order to work the mindset in a fun way that seems like almost like playing instead of actually developing it? Well, in, you know, in a way, when you're, when, when you're coaching or teaching, you're kind of 
tricking the plot, tricking the people into thinking a certain way, right? We're we're trying to to trigger a different mindset. And uh in terms of games, uh you can use some imaginary tools. Uh, you know, one imaginary tool um I like to use uh when working with the athlete, and I mentioned this earlier, is kind of the stress cup and having an ide- an athlete or performer identify what are the things that make up the volume in their stress cup and trying to uh, identify how they can remove certain amounts of volume in there to bring the stress level down for them. Um, in terms of games, I think as a, as a teacher or a coach, um, when you're trying to make learning happen, it's really, really important that you have certain games or certain uh, moments where the athlete is allowed to project out in their own mind, I think, and have a trans-derivational thought where they're kind of looking back into their mind and trying to bring it forward into the present. And I know there's lots of games like in the soccer environment and the PE skills environment that that can work on that. And there's also certain, uh, you know, ideas that, that we can utilize like the Sedona breakthrough, which is kind of a visualization technique, or, you know, a lot of times uh, just uh, having a, a confidence list and a grateful list and uh, a list of, you know, why you actually compete. Those are helpful ways at creating a playful mechanism for an athlete to kind of game their way into uh the right kind of performance state. Um, I think body language games and just uh, reframing uh, certain ignitions and you know deep learning ideas are really what stimulate kids to learn. And I think especially today, even though the kids are bombarded with social media, they still want ignition. They want deep learning and they still want to be exposed to the really cool cutting edge things. And I still think sports uh, is a great way to access that for young people. And that's why I'm just really grateful to, uh, to be in the position where I am today. Awesome. Awesome. You mentioned, you mentioned the Sedona breakthrough visualization. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, um, in, in the Sedona breakthrough is it's an idea where you, you guide a young person uh, if they're like a visual learner, sometimes guiding a, a, an athlete through some visualization techniques are going to be really, really helpful for them. So once we kind of identify what a person's limiters are or the things that are holding them back, we try to uh, paint a picture for them that they can really, once they identify what their fears and limitations are, it's it's very possible to start minimizing them when you look at them uh, from a worst case scenario perspective and start building on that. So in the Sedona breakthrough, we we kind of guide the learner uh, where, where they're following their way on a guided visualization down a path where they come up to what their limitations are. And we let the athlete, we give them permission to feel what those limitations are. And then we start just breaking them down one by one uh, so that they don't have the ability to create the interference for the athlete anymore. Uh, We try to get them to connect with their unconscious in a way that allows them to identify with it, understand how it affects their performance, and understand how to connect uh, with that, the power mind, when it's necessary to help to help guide them through a certain situation and especially just to see how an athlete learns and uh, how they can grow over time. So I think by working with the thinking mind and the power mind, and that's what the Sedona breakthrough is, we're combining those and utilizing them as a tool to just get clarity and resonation on what some of the limitations have been uh, for a young athlete in their past. I see. I see. And Throughout your your life working with with the athletes, what ha, what what is the area around mindset you've seen 
you know, student athletes need help with the most? Is it handling fear? Is it self-confidence? Is it frustration? Is it what 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 is the area where you see a a a a constant loop or a constant pattern in terms of their mindset that they need uh reinforcement or development yeah i'm i'm seeing um a lot of the young athletes their joy is being taken out of the sport and their joy is being taken out of the sport by uh it can be parents it can be people yelling at the referees it can be by bad coaching. It can be uh, by, by negative experiences. It can be by the frustration of not even having clarity on why they're taking part in youth sports. It can be the frustration and the sadness of doing the sports for the wrong reason. So I'm seeing it mostly as frustration uh, for the young athletes, Jean-Paul. And I think a lot of parents today are seeing that frustration. They're seeing it, it be difficult for their, chi their child to utilize their talents and skills to the fullest potential because of the doubts and the frustrations and the negative thoughts and the social pressure and uh, a lot of uh, other extrinsic mechanisms that are, you know, in our society today that seem to be pressing down on us and not allowing the athlete to grow. So, so that would be for you, you know, you, you started off the, the interview that way and you finished off also saying that, you know, the most important thing is doing it for the love of the game, for the joy of the game, for the enjoyment. And once that is, gets, once that is taken care of, everything else will kind of fall into place. That, that's the most important idea, you know, and then if you can just trust in the process, right? I mean, you, you have to, every athlete or coach knows that success hinges on process. There's no magic wand. Uh, it has to be built up brick by brick. And, uh, you know, people have to understand that. Awesome. And Dennis, how do people work with you? Can somebody hire you as their mindset coach uh, across the country or across the globe, or you just work one-on-one -on -one with, with people in live locations? Tell us a bit about what you do specifically. Um, I have clients in Arizona, Florida, here in California, uh, in Nevada. Um, I tend to travel around a bit when I'm coaching. And so uh, I do like to do some of it one-on-one. -on -one. Um, Obviously, traveling around the globe uh, would be difficult, but we can work through a Zoom platform. So I'd like to see athletes uh, personally, one-on-one, -on -one, especially for the uh, initial information gathering session. I know that's not always possible, but people can hire us to work for uh, a number of hours, to work with a team or a group, or to work with me for six months, or even in my uh, VIP, pro VIP program for a year. Um, I'm kind of want to expand out and do maybe some live events. Uh, I like doing Zoom calls together with uh, all the athletes I work with because sometimes a younger athlete uh, might have a question and an older athlete can answer it. And uh, there's some cross-pollination having uh, going on there. But uh, I work with athletes in person. We work over Zoom platforms. And, of course, uh, I can work with any athlete uh, all over the globe team however we want to do it but via zoom platform is uh, is a great way to connect and uh, awesome. i'm starting to be a little better at mastering the technology so it's working well for me now good 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 and where can people find you where can you be found and you know what 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 do you have website or social media yeah they i can be found uh, on facebook at abc mental toughness uh you can find me on linkedin at dennis bell isle um, I'm on Instagram, TikTok, uh, YouTube, ABC Mental Toughness. And uh, I'm just trying to develop a, a little presence out there, um, just trying to get, get myself in the mix and uh, trying to learn to digitally market a little bit. Um, my website is ABC Mental Toughness. And uh, I'm just looking forward to getting out there and uh, sharing my gift. Um, I love talking with people about the youth sports experience. And I think sports and art are still really, really important parts of our uh, our village and our society today. And uh, 
it's just, I feel really blessed to be involved. Awesome. Awesome. So Dennis, we have come to the end of the, the, the episode. Thank you so much. We learned a lot. You shared a lot of wisdom around soccer and mindset and student athletes and how you work and the approach. And I'm just honored to have you here. Thank you for accepting. And we'll share in the show notes all the links to your websites and you know, social media so people can find you. And once again, thank you. Yeah, thank, thank you so much. It's been an honor to, uh, you know, to meet you a couple of weeks ago and just to start corresponding, uh, Jean-Paul. And thanks for, uh, you know, letting me try out your, uh, your mindset metrics and uh, getting some feedback on that. And it's been an honor to come on your, uh, your show and share with you today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed, uh, you know, to have such a great friend like yourself. And uh, I'm learning a lot just by being a colleague of yours. So thank you for, you know, reaching out to me. And uh, I, I just, uh, I like having you as a mentor also. So it's been an honor to be here today. And thank you very much for all your time. I really, really appreciate it. Excellent, Dennis. And thank you. I'll see you. Bye-bye. Okay. Bye-bye. Okay. So...